two brothers had terrorized a small town for decades. They were unfaithful to their wives, abusive to their children, dishonest in business. And then the younger brother died unexpectedly. The surviving brother went to the minister of the local church and said, I want you to conduct my brother's funeral. But it's important to me that during the service, you tell everyone that my brother was a saint. Well, he was far from that, the the minister protested. The wealthy older brother pulled out his checkbook and explained, I'm prepared to give $100,000 to your church. All I'm asking is that you publicly state that my brother was a saint. Well, the minister felt conflicted about suggesting that this man was good or moral in any way, but he knew the church needed the money and would put it to much better use, and so he settled on a truthful way of handling the surviving brother's request. On the day of the funeral, the the minister began his eulogy this way. Everyone here knows that the deceased was a wicked man, a womanizer, a drunk. He mistreated his employees. He cheated on his taxes. And then he paused. But as evil and sinful as this man was, compared to his older brother, this man was a saint. (laughs) Well, today we want to examine two questions. What does it look like to be holy? And, and, And what does that mean? to be holy. So when I say the word holy, what comes to mind? Is it a a monk living in a sin-free monastery? Is it a really good person who's been dead for over a hundred years and is granted saint status? Or, Or do you envision it as describing someone who's really close to being morally perfect? When I say holy, maybe for you it, it has a, a negative connotation stemming from the attitude of someone with false piety or who acts self-righteous and projects a superior, holier-than-thou attitude. All those misperceptions suggest that being holy is either unattainable or, or out of touch with our culture in, in 2022. But God calls Christians to be holy. It must be a goal that is at least approachable, if not completely attainable. God calls us to be holy, for I am holy, he says. Today we're we're going to study from several passages that will provide a context to describe the the answer to today's questions. What does it mean to be holy, and, and what does that look like? So first, what does it mean to be holy? In the original language of the New Testament, the the word for holy in the Greek is hagios. It means to be separate, to to be different, to to be set apart, to be distinctive. It refers to a Christian being countercultural, in the world, but not of the world. I think an example would, would be a rowboat in the water. Uh, The rowboat is floating, it's surrounded by water, but it doesn't contain water. And if the water begins to get into the boat, then there's a serious problem and the the boat becomes at risk uh, of sinking. A Christian is called to be distinctive from the rest of our culture with a view of leading those around us to a better place. When I was a youth minister, I, 
I used to do a, an object lesson where I, I would take a, a beaker of water, and that represented the 168 hours in a, in a week's time, and then I would take a, a dropper and add a, a drop of food color to represent the spiritual influences during the week. So I would put in a, a drop for a, an hour of attending worship, and then squeeze out a, a drop for attending a, a life group study, or uh, squeeze out a drop volunteering for an hour by serving others. Maybe another drop for reading your, your Bible or a drop for spending time with, with Christian friends. And the more positive spiritual effects experienced in your life, then the more spiritual color you would take on during that, uh, that example. And then I would, would challenge the youth, if you're feeling a bit pale in your relationship with the Lord, then try adding some spiritual disciplines to add some color to your relationship with God. And that's really what is the challenge for us, is to not be so pale and blanched out that people can't see that we've spent time with, with Jesus. Let's look today in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 13. This section talks about be holy. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. One of the things is we're always looking ahead. We're anticipating Christ's return. And we're living our lives in a way to order them and prepare them for that event. And again, to take as many people with us as possible. And so it's a fast forward focused on, on heaven and heaven's priorities. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Everyone in the room has some regrets of mistakes you've made in life and choices I wish I could take back. And so we think about our lives B.C., before Christ, previous to that, and we were conformed to this world and to its desires, to its priorities. And so what Peter is saying is don't be conformed to the, the evil of the past previous to becoming a Christian. Um, you were living in ignorance. You, you were blind. You, you, you had drunk the Kool-Aid. You, you didn't realize what you were doing. But verse 15 says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Here's that higher standard, that challenge for us, that, that expectation, again, to be in the world but not of the world, to, to live by a, a different set of rules and priorities and, and principles. For it is written, it says, for you were called, verse 15, just as you were called, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am. I'm holy. And that's the, the ultimate example set by God. That's our motivation. We want to be more like him. We want to resemble him. We want to be holy, not for the sake of feeling superior to other people or impressing anyone. We want to take on the image of our heavenly father. Verse 17 says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. 
He's saying, put it in a perspective. Our, our time here on earth is very short. It, it's brief. Your three score in 10 years are just a, a blip on the screen of an infinity. And so uh, God is going to, to judge each person's work. So live out your time here as foreigners, uh, as, as, as aliens, as strangers, as, as transients. And the, the idea is that in, in the world, this is a temporary home. This is a weekend camping trip compared to an eternity in heaven. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. He's contrasting the, the perishable things versus the eternal things, the imperishable things. But we've been reclaimed. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back from a, an empty life apart from the Lord that, that doesn't produce a lasting satisfaction. He says that was done with the precious blood of Christ, a, a lamb without blemish or defect. When a, a Jew went to offer a sacrifice, they had to purchase an animal that was free from deformity, and no, no defect, that had to be healthy and, and whole. And that's the idea that we bring our best to the Lord and, and, and that Christ was that perfect lamb, capital L, without blemish or defect. And, and by his sacrifice, by his blood, we've been reclaimed from this old way of life that was just traditionally handed down from generation to generation from our ancestors. And now we're called to live this vibrant new life that is truly life in, in him. I think fear can try to keep us from pursuing holiness. For some, that may be fear of being excluded, uh, left out of the popular crowd. It, it may take the form of fear of retaliation, fear of persecution. The, the context for the writing of these words, First Peter, it was written about A.D. 65 during the cruel Roman persecution of the emperor Nero. Nero is dedicated to building and expansion, urban renewal. And so in order to advance his plans of construction, history tells us that he was responsible for the burning of, of Rome so that he could rebuild it and remake it in, in a new way. And this destruction of the city would enable him to redesign his new vision for the city of Rome. Roman historian Tacitus tells us that the innocent Christians were scapegoated and received the blame for being the, the people responsible for burning this fire that Nero had set. And that led to one of the most severe persecutions Christians have, have ever known as they were targeted for public blame for Nero's expansion efforts. Mockery of every sort was added to their death. Some of them were, were sewn into the skins of, of, of wild animals and then thrown in the Colosseum to the, the dogs or lions that devoured them alive. Others were perished by, perished by being nailed to crosses. Others were dipped in tar or pitch and, and placed as human bug lights lighting the, the gardens of, of Nero's dinner parties in, in the evening as, as human torches. I, I often hear people lament that things in the world are worse than they've ever been. I, I don't agree with that. Things have, have always been bad. Sometimes have been worse than others. 
but the religious persecution that we face in 21st century America is pretty pale compared to the, the first century church, what it experienced under Nero. So what should a Christ follower look like in, in today's world? What does it mean to, to be holy? What does that look like? There used to be an, an old adage that, that quipped, I don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do. Well, the absence of those habits will improve your physical health. You may avoid lung cancer or oral cancer or cirrhosis of the liver, poor decisions from impaired judgment, and may avoid harming others through those effects of secondhand smoke or domestic abuse or driving under the influence. But that doesn't make one inherently godly or, or holy. The, the actual definition for holy refers to someone who is godly, different from the world and from our culture, that distinctive, separate, called out. So, so being holy is not so much about what we avoid as it is what we anoint in our lives. Let's listen to how Romans 12, 1 and 2 describe our response to God's sacrifice. We become a living sacrifice. Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, when you think about what God has done for us, his grace, in view of his forgiveness and mercy, we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That just means the, the totality of, of our being, our, our entirety, needs to be surrendered to the Lord. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Paul's saying, isn't it reasonable to conclude, I'll live for him who died for me? He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Again, that's the way we used to live. But be transformed, that change of form, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You'll make better decisions when you're focused on trying to do it God's way. I, I always say, God's way just works better. You know, it doesn't mean you're exempt from problems or difficulties when you become a Christian, but you'll have a lot fewer of them and, and you won't bring as many on yourself. Uh, th that's what it looks like to be holy. My grandparents uh, lived on a farm not far from here in, in Rush County, Indiana. And I remember in my grandmother's kitchen, she had these copper jello molds hanging on her kitchen wall. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember those, but she would take a, a box of the powdered jello gelatin mix and add it to warm water and then pour it into one of these design-shaped molds. I remember one was like a, a, a fish, you know, arched, leaping out of water. Some of you may remember that one. And, uh, and just, you know, she had different you know, bunt cake shapes and forms, and, and these lined the wall of her, her kitchen. And so uh, whenever this hot gelatin was, was poured in there in, in that liquid state, it was placed then in the refrigerator where it would solidify and you know what it did? It, it conformed to the shape of the container surrounding it. The Phillips translation for this passage really talks about that same thing. He said, don't let the world around you 
squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Most of us can identify with the prophet Isaiah when he said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We each have been soiled, tainted, affected, influenced by this world's culture. We have allowed water to enter the boats of our lives. So how can we experience God's grace and and then go on and move past that and go forward and start over with his forgiveness? In other words, what does holy living look like going forward from this point? Well, in the the area of of sexual purity, it says in in Ephesians 5, verse 3, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So, So what does that look like? Not even a hint. Avoid coarse jesting, even innuendo. Jokes, things that, that hint about sexual immorality. It says, or any kind of impurity or greed. These are improper for God's holy people. In a culture that promotes premarital sex and cohabitation before marriage, God is calling his followers to practice purity before marriage and fidelity after marriage. And then there must be no kind of impurity it says, and I think that extends to our, our ethical business dealings and, and controlling our conversation. You know, Satan won't come to you tomorrow and, and ask you to rob a bank. That's too obvious. He, he's subtle. He'll start by suggesting you, you take some pencils home from the office. Who's going to miss a few pencils? And then maybe he'll tempt you as you're working on your taxes right now to, to fudge a little on your income taxes. After all, the IRS gets way too much anyway. Satan won't come right out and, and try to get you to have an affair. He, he may start by suggesting just an innocent lunch with that friend who's going through some troubles and you can discuss problems together. You know, we're just good friends, but it has the potential of, of leading to something more. Do you detect how gradual is the erosion of values as the world around us compresses us into its mold? Do you see how easy it is for the world, like an octopus, to to take its tentacles and begin to wrap them around us ever so slowly until we wake up one day and we find that the world has crept into our lives, into our attitudes, into our thoughts, and we have been lulled to sleep spiritually. It's so crucial that we see that Jesus Christ is calling us to live a separated way of life, to be different in our hearts, in our lives, in in our motives, in the very innermost part of our being. He's calling us to be holy, and he's challenging us to make a difference in the world in which we are living, to be different It means I don't care if everybody else is doing it. If we are called, we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, we are to be different. 
There's to be a change in our lives. And we are not to participate in the things of our old practices from our evil nature. To be holy, we need to operate apart from our carnal control, this, this tendency of greed. And so greed, lust, selfishness, pride are vestiges of our former way of life, B.C., before Christ. They're vestiges that, that need to be discarded. Nazarene believers write down two dates in, in their Bibles. Uh, they put the date of the first work of grace when uh, they were baptized, came to Christ, and then they, they write the date of what they perceive as their second work of grace, uh, the day when they became perfect. Now, I, I, I don't know anyone who is perfect, and maybe I'm just hanging out with the wrong people, but uh, I, I certainly am not perfect, and I don't think many of us have that second date written down. Yes, March 20th, that was it. First day of spring, 2022, the day I became morally perfect and never had another evil thought or sin. Well, theologically, I would differ from my Nazarene friends that being sanctified is not a singular event or a date to be written in the fly leaf of one's Bible. I would submit to you that sanctification is a process, an ongoing, laborious, cleansing, purging, reordering of our priorities, that we are all works in progress rather than finished products. A few summers ago, we, we had to patch a leak in the lining of our above-the-ground swimming pool. And so, so that I wouldn't buoyantly float back up to the surface, my wife, Johnny, offered to help, and she held her hands on my back to push me down and hold me underwater to help. At, at least, I, I think that's what she was doing. <laughs> Why does this sound like a Lifetime movie? So... so a small pinprick leak in a pool will lose gallons and gallons of water over time. Uh, so much so you'll, you'll be shocked and amazed. I, I was at a, a county fair and I picked this up from a, the local water company. And it was a little six-inch ruler and, and then it had different uh, pinprick holes for different sizes. So the, 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 the smallest little pinprick hole was one-sixteenth of an inch. You know, that's just like taking a ballpoint pen and just poking it through the paper, just tiny. Well, it said over three months, uh, a leak through that little tiny pinprick hole would lose 74,000 gallons of water. Uh, it said if, if that was uh, a quarter inch, or excuse me, an eighth of an inch, the next size up, about, about a little smaller than a BB, that would, would be 296 296,000 gallons of water over three months. So if you're wondering why your water bill's been a little bit higher lately, so, and then on up two more sizes. So when we got up to just a, a little quarter inch hole, which still is not a, a real sizable hole, over three months, you would lose almost a million 200,000 gallons of water that would just be going out unnoticed, undetected, uh, without you realizing it. So, so do you understand what I'm saying? The habits in our lives that appear small, minor, no big deal, yeah, we tend to justify. 
After all, we reason they're not that bad. Others are doing a lot worse, we defend. It's not affecting me, we maintain. But spiritual warfare is underway, and our cunning adversary can render us ineffective if we don't remove those items from our lives. They will remove us from the spiritual battle in which we are engaged. We need the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, but we have to allow him. We have to enable him. We have to empower him to have that authority to do so in our lives. We have to feed the right dog. 2 Timothy 2.21 reveals that we each have work to do in this process of of being sanctified or, or being made holy. It says, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, there's that word again, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. And then Hebrews 10.10 says, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Uh, Again, we can't make ourselves holy. We're made holy through this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit as we try to emulate the sacrifice of Jesus and and be in appearance like our our Heavenly Father who is perfect. Then dropping to verse 14, it says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Again, there's that process. Not those who are instantly zapped and are morally perfect from that day on, but this process of refinement that's going on, this purging that's coming uh, in our lives. Just turn a page to your right, that the Hebrews 12, verse 14, focuses on why this is important. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's normal to have a a healthy fear of of heights or electricity or water. A healthy fear is a good thing. It's a wise thing. It it keeps us safe from harm's damage. And and we need to have a healthy fear of God. It it says in 2 Peter 3.11, talking about the destruction at the end of the world, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be holy fear you ought to live holy and godly lives so let's let's recap so again what does it mean to be holy and and what does that look like it means that people see more and more of god in our lives and less and less of self as john the baptizer expressed it he must increase i must decrease you know, I, I love little babies, and I, I love to see babies for the first time when they, uh, they are brought to church, and uh, we had an example of that la- last week. And, and so when someone comes up and shows me a newborn baby and says, who do you think it looks like? I mean, I, I hate that. Uh, that is a loaded question. You're, you're going to tick off one side of the family with, with whatever a- answer you, you give. And, and to be real honest, Babies are little and red, and they don't look like anybody at this point. So, uh, so w- w- when asked that question, you know, um, you know, I usually kind of 
say, well, it's a little hard to tell, and, you know, it's, it's a little early, but, you know, I'll get back to you on that, so. As time goes on, though, let's say that little boy is five years old, and he's running around, and he's starting to look a little bit like his dad. I can, I can see some family resemblance there, and by the time he's, he's 13, he's taken on more of his, his dad's uh, appearance, and it's not such a big stretch to say he's favoring that side of the family, but by the time he's, he's 20, he may be the spitting image of his dad. And that's what needs to happen through this process of sanctification, that we take on a growing, greater appearance to our Heavenly Father. So that when people look at us, they see Him living through us, and they know of His impact and influence on our lives. I want you to consider the lyrics to the hymn, Higher Ground, just that, that second stanza. My heart has no desire to stay, where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where those abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That's the challenge for us this morning, to, to go higher in our relationship with the Lord, to, to go deeper in our walk with Christ, to, to, to resemble them and not so much uh, the world around us. But would you bow your heads? I'm going to share the lyrics from Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God calls us, be holy, for I am holy.